What's up? And welcome to Clarity for Parents of Athletes, bringing you stories from professional athletes about their parents and how they were raised. My name is Gabe Nocere from aclearmind.com. All right, and welcome to episode number 35. I hope you're staying safe, and if you're able to slow down in life, that you're enjoying the slower pace. And if you're not able to slow down, whether you're an essential worker, which I'd like to send out a very big thank you, by the way, or if you're unable to slow down for any other reason, I hope you're taking good care of yourself. And if you listened to the last couple episodes or not, I'd want to either remind you or inform you that my amazing wife, Angie, and I both uh, were both transformative life coaches and are offering anyone at this time in life a pay-what-you-can-afford option for working with either of us uh, right now. Now, the coaching method that we perform for our clients is really grounding and healing, and I can say that as both a coach and someone who works with an amazing coach myself, and I know I've shifted like my internal process from worry and stress due to my work circumstances and a lot of other things to trust and being able to enjoy the present moment with much more ease. And both Angie and I want to help you and others do the same thing. So you can reach out to me at Gabe at a clear mind.com or through a social media links, which you can find on my website, aclearmind.com. That's aclearmind.com. And you can connect with Angie, my wife, through her website, Enlightened Wellness FX, like Fox X-ray, FX.com. So Enlightened Wellness FX.com. If you don't know anything about her, you can go back and listen to the episodes, the last two, number 33 and 34, because she was a guest on those episodes and spoke about nutrition. And also the last episode was a really, really powerful episode, and I urge you to go back and listen to it. But we both spoke about how you can help others during this time and a secret power that you probably don't realize that you had, which is available to everybody, which is amazing results for people in this world, not just yourself. So now, as always, I ask to, if you would share the podcast and also write a review on Apple podcast, as well as rate and subscribe it, the more people do that, the more visible it is for others. And the episodes are just full of such great modeling from the athletes I've interviewed. And I hope you find the same helpfulness from the episode's with myself and uh, the couple with Angie as well. All right, on to this episode, and I've been holding on to this one for a while due to the coronavirus pandemic and the fact that I was feeling the need to offer support to you and others in the last few episodes, but now I want to get back on track with some of the interviews. I have a few more recorded as well, and I'll release those uh, up in the upcoming weeks. So this episode is with Brian Weiss, who is the head men's soccer coach at Georgetown University and won the 2019 National Championship. Brian's done an amazing job at Georgetown and built that school and that program to be one of the elite 
programs year to year in, in the Division I men's soccer programs. So he's also guided a lot of players into the next level, professional level of soccer, and is, I, I know is a tremendous influence on wherever his players head outside of soccer, that Brian's had an amazing influence on them as well. Now, this episode, he speaks about tips for players and parents for college recruiting. And he, of course, gives us insight into his journey as an athlete and how his parents guided him along that path, something that all the athletes have done. He also gives insight into the small but hugely important details he looks for players off the field. That's right. It's not just the stuff that's on the field that counts for these these players. And I think that's something I think all players and parents need to listen to that part of the interview uh, because those little things can either motivate him, him, Brian, or and his staff to either say that he needs to have that player or take the player off the list completely. So I really urge you to listen, especially to that part where he starts speaking about recruiting. All right, enjoy. All right, Brian, welcome here. I appreciate your time today and a belated congratulations to you on your national championship run last year in December. Uh, thanks, Gabe. Happy, happy to join you. Oh, good. Well, I appreciate it again. And I, I definitely want to get into your coaching and the national championship run, but I always like to start with kind of backtracking into my guest's life and find out what their childhood was like and their family dynamic was like. Now, kind of looking and studying you over the last few days, I, I can judge or just totally taking a wild stab that academics was probably a pretty big factor in your guys' life as a family. Just imagining. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, we were... Um really you know lucky enough to to uh, go through school at the uh, Albuquerque Academy um in New Mexico and and uh, just uh, uh I had two older brothers I was the youngest of three and uh you know I I I had a I had a you know people people talk about like childhood angst and and middle school drama and and this that and the other I I had so many positive experiences and in, in middle school and high school. And, and, um, you know, I have nothing but great, great memories of, of my time, uh, at a, um, what you don't really realize when you're going through it, but was just a fantastic, uh, academic environment. Um, and, uh, I was lucky enough to, to be the youngest of, of three boys that, that we all went through there. So I, I kind of, I kind of were following in people's footsteps and, and, uh, um, looking up to and admiring some of these older guys that uh, my brothers were, we're, we're friends with and uh yeah i mean it it, it, it and it prepared it prepared me wonderfully well for college and um uh, and uh you know my, my career path as a coach has been kind of interestingly at um really high-end academic institutions you know that's been five years at stanford and an assistant and five years at notre dame as an assistant and now oh man uh 15, 14 years, 14 years, I think, at the Georgetown as the head coach. So it's, you know, you, you do get comfortable in an institutional setting like that. And, and that's, uh, it, I think it's certainly the case for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. So what did your parents do? Because I imagine they had a lot of influence on the academic side. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, my, my, my father was a physician. Um, uh, he had, he, you know, he, he grew up in, in New England, uh, went to, went to Yale, um, uh, uh, undergrad and, and Harvard, uh, uh, med school and, 
my mom grew up in uh, in L.A. and and she uh, uh, went to Occidental uh, in L.A. So it, it you know education was always very very important to to my parents. Um, and you know that's at, at the end of the day that's that's that bleed down uh, for values uh, is real. You know your parents your parents don't value the the a degree or, or college education, then, you know, you, you tend, you tend to follow suit. So, um, you know, I think we, uh, we're really lucky to, to grow up in a house where, um, you know, that was, a, that was a, a priority, you know, and, and it, it has shaped, it shaped, you know, my, um, you know, my pathway for sure. And the things I value, I, you know, I, I've, I've had a couple job offers from schools that aren't really, um, the same kind of academic institution that I'm, that, that I've been at. And, and, and it is, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's like, it doesn't really make me that comfortable. I'm very comfortable in the, in the setting I'm in uh, dealing with the kinds of kids we deal with. And uh, it would be a very different kind of thing. I, it, not to say you couldn't do it, but it, you, you'd have to, um, you know, make sure that you're uh, on the same page as, as your student athletes when you work with them. Um, but it's, it, it you know, it, it yeah, I, I just I've I've been very very lucky because I think I think that 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 uh, my parents were very good at um, uh, and maybe you know listen maybe this is because I'm the youngest but uh, my parents kind of let you let you live and make decisions and deal with your decisions and you know I wasn't I wasn't uh, you know uh, uh, pushed through by a, a type a mom or dad and i have to do this then in order to do that and do this it's like I, I was allowed to make mistakes and and make decisions and and you know my father was it was it, particularly someone that would sit here and say uh well here's here's an action and here's the here's the reaction to it you know here's here's what you did and here's what happens when you do that kind of thing you know and mm. and he would let you experience those things and he would let you make some mistakes and he would let you you know, go through life that way. And I, I think that was really helpful, um, mm-hmm. uh, for, for how you develop, you know, I was, I was given a lot of autonomy to make a lot of decisions and, um, and, and that's, that's, yeah, that, that's a, a little bit of a leap of faith as a parent, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. to say, Hey, I'm okay watching you make a decision that I know is probably a bad one, <laughs> but that's how you're going to learn from it. Right. Versus me telling mm-hmm. you not make them to not make that decision. They, they, you know, they were more inclined to say like, well, if you think that's the right decision, make it and see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's parenting by apathy, which is what I've adopted as my, as my own method of, of parenting for my own kids. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. So did your, did you see that your older brothers, did they have that same kind of freedom of experimenting and finding out the results or were your parents a little tighter on them since they were the first two? That probably tighter. I, my perspective is is that they were pretty consistent though um, with that. I think uh, um, you know I was able to watch them make mistakes and and uh, and watch them succeed. You know, the same token and um, and follow very different uh, career passions and life passions. My oldest brother is is, is incredibly artistic and into music, um, and that that path took him uh, to Hampshire, uh, college and then, and then eventually to Cal arts out in LA. And, and he's, he's been doing a lot of fun things with, with uh, that. And, but he's always been very musically inclined and, and, and artistic and how he's approached things. And, and then my other brother, uh, my middle brother, Andrew is, um, 
was 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 uh, so my oldest brother was seven years older, and, and Andrew was Michael seven years older. Andrew was four years older, and and so you know Michael was almost too old to 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 really hang out with me and mentor me, and you know it was like I, seven years is a big gap, you know, in right. terms of hey, uh, let me come along with you and do that with you. There's not that many things that that you can really that apply to. <laughs> Um, right. it certainly wasn't going to be hanging out with him and his buddies, you know, like it's just too, too big a gap there. And whereas Andrew at four years was a little bit, you know, um, it, it was a little bit closer. And so he was, you know, and, and I really followed his, um, lead into soccer. He was, he was really the reason why I became a soccer player as a, as a young kid. And he, he and his friends, um, uh, fell in love with the sport when they were, you know, nine, 10 and, uh, which meant I fell in love with sport when I was uh, five or six, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how this stuff happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Did you play any other sports growing up or was it just soccer? Well, I did. Yeah, I know. I did a ton. Uh, you know, I love soccer. I love basketball. Those are my two favorites for sure. Um, and, uh, but growing up, I, 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 I played uh, uh, tennis. I swam in the, you know, the summer's, which is, which was incredibly, you know, difficult, uh, to do. So that only lasted so long. And, <laughs> um, uh, I tried and failed at baseball a couple of times. Um, uh, you know, you sort of, you, you sort of just do stuff, right? I was always active. I love sports. I really wanted to play football. And that was one of the mm. few things I think my father said, no, he said, nope, not going to let you do it. You know, he's a physician. Why, he's like, why was that? He, he just, he just thought that there's just too, too uh, much, much uh, room for, for significant injuries. And right. so that was the one thing I remember being so angry. I was like, I want to play football. I loved watching, <laughs> you know, the, the, the NFL and the Sundays, the LA Rams with my team. And I love that. And this, and, and, uh, but, uh, they, they nipped that in the bud, which is probably a good thing. Cause, um, it let me, it let me, you know, get more into soccer <laughs> at the end of the day, but mm. it, um, it, it, you know, it was, it was really active and, 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 um, you know, I think that was, that's the, that's a, that's a different thing from now to back then. This is back in, uh, the, you know, early eighties probably is when I was able to play all these sports and it was fine. Right. You didn't have to specialize in stuff. And, um, uh, and, but I, you know, I was incredibly active and, um, uh, but you know, I did have, I did have some issues from, I had, I had a lot of uh, surgeries in high school for things that didn't have anything to do with sport. I didn't have any ACL issues or didn't have any, this is just, I had a, I had a little condition in, in my knee, but actually it was in both my knees, but it was advanced in, in, in one of my knees that, that required pretty significant surgery to, 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 to real repair this. It was really a lack of blood circulation in my knee joint. And, and, you know, a, a, a chunk of bone and cartilage had just died and detached and they had to pin it back and figure out how to, you know, make it all work again. And I was, I was in a wheelchair for six months and the, like the sophomore, oh, wow. um, so because it had to be, it was happening on my other knee, but it hadn't happened yet. So they drilled holes through blood circulation in the, in the joint and, but it had to be non weight bearing. And, and it was really hard for me because I was, I, I had evolved into a pretty good goalkeeper I was a goalkeeper for soccer through middle school I, I was pretty good and mm-hmm. and and then these things started popping up as you know freshman and certainly sophomore year of high school where um it was really disruptive and and uh wasn't really able to play you know the, the, and and I was able to play basketball through my freshman year um 
uh, with a freshman team at the at school, and then and then that suddenly that's out the window. I wasn't able to play anymore, and that crushed me. I loved playing soccer, loved playing basketball, and those those things were taken away for for you know better part of a year, year and a half in the middle of your high school career, and and that was really tough, you know. So mm. I didn't get to play high school basketball. I'm not sure if I would have made you know you know the JV and then the varsity and all that, but um, uh, I certainly would have liked to have tried and and. Um, and then my, you know, my high school career at, at the Academy was, was uh, the timing of everything was, was really whittled down to playing my senior fall. That was the only high school soccer I was able to play. And by that time there was two other goalies that had been playing, you know, for, for a couple of years prior. So three of us split the season three ways. And, you know, so I played what amounted to six high school games. If you add it all up, you know, in my high oh, school wow. career. Um, but, uh, you know, was, was trying to, you know, get back into it. And, and the good thing is that my surgeon did such a good job. That he got me back to, to feeling normal and being able to go for what it would have been my junior spring is when I started feeling like I was, I was a person again, I can move and, 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 and could, 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 could run and do the things that I, I athletically was remembered being able to do. And, uh, um, and that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, while very frustrating, I was got very lucky that it worked out, uh, for me to, mm. to, to be able to play beyond that injury. Wow. That's a pretty intense injury you had. Yeah. How did your, how, how did your parents support you emotionally during that time? They were, they were great. I mean, you know, they, it, it's, it's, it's a hard process when you have that kind of a long-term injury, if you have an ACL injury or you know, these, these things are significant because they're, it's, it's, it's not, um, it's not a broken bone, which is put a cast on it and six weeks, you're going to be good and away you go. Mm-hmm. And, and these are things that require an incredible amount of rehabilitation. Um, you know, it, it's not just the timeout. It's, it's the working back during the timeout to getting yourself back to a place where you feel like you can compete. And that's the hard part. Right. And, you know, so my injury was similar. It's like I had to do a ton of, I, I mean, I lost all the muscle and no, no muscle in my legs at that time. Like, I, you know, you could, I could do the splits and I could, I could do whatever I wanted to. I had no muscles to have to, to restrict me, which meant I had to build all that back. And, you know, and it's an incredibly thankless time, right? You're on a machine, you were the therapist, you're doing reps and you're doing this and it's hard and it's uncomfortable and it hurts. And it's long and it goes on for a long time. And, um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that you have to have, um, or well, I should say it really helps to have, you know, a reason to push and do those, do that. And, and, and then my parents were, were great. I mean, I, I had, uh, they, they had to make the house wheelchair accessible. So my poor dad's out there, you know, building a ramp, with, <laughs> like two little steps up to, it was always, it was always a one story house, but, they had little steps all over the place. So suddenly all everything that had like one step up to the kitchen and then one, two steps out to the, to the, to the door suddenly had to had to be, have ramps to it, you know, so I could wheel around the house and get to my bedroom and get to the kitchen. And, and uh, you know, they knew I was going to be recovering a lot. I had a, I had a series of surgeries. So um, I had always been like, I want a lazy boy recliner chair. <laughs> and they're always like, no, no. And then suddenly like, okay, we'll get you a lazy boy recliner chair. You got to sit back. <laughs> So, you know, they, they were, they, they did what they, what really all they could, which is, you know, they were, they, um, you know, much of what I was talking about before, 
they let me kind of be as motivated as, as I wanted to be in it. And, but they supported mm-hmm. me. If I wanted to, if I wanted to work hard, I was going to extra therapy. They would take me. Right. And, and, but it, it, it wasn't, they weren't driving me. I, I was always driven myself. Right. To get mm-hmm. back. Cause I really wanted to get back and play. I was hoping maybe I could get healthy enough to play basketball for, I was never going to play basketball beyond high school, but it's like, maybe I can get back to play basketball. Maybe I can obviously want to get back to play soccer, which is a sport I really love. And that was the motivator. And, and, and they just supported me along the way. They did, you know, I, I, they were, they were, they, they, they were so su- supportive and, 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 and I, and I think they hid the fact that they were sad for me very well. Mm. You know, like I, I don't remember them being, you know, sad because they knew how much I love sport. And I think as a parent, that would have been very, very hard. And I think about me with my kids, if any, if any of my kids had gone through what I went through, I would have had a really hard time not being crushed for them. Um, and so I think they were really sad, but I think they did a great job of not being sad in front of me for mm. me. Right. They didn't let me feel sorry for myself. They just, they just said, hey, what do you got? To, what, what, what's next? What do you got to do? Right. What do you want to do? Where are you? And then they said, Hey, I got to get back and I want to play. I want to play soccer again. And then they, they said, all right, how do we help you do that? You know, so mm-hmm. they, they were great. I, I, I thought, I think they, I think they did that about as well as you could, you could hope they could. Yeah. sounds like it. And from experience as a coach, watching these athletes, sometimes go through these severe injuries, they tend to learn a lot about themselves during that process. What was something that you felt that you grew from in an area of your life during that? Well, I think it makes you, I think it makes you appreciate, you know, what, what you're, what you're not able to do. You know, I think that's the thing was, is anyone who's been out for a long time for whatever reason, um, when those, when those athletes come back, they they don't take anything for granted anymore. You know, they they there's not a single day or a single training session or a single game that's just not, you know, you don't cherish just a little bit more than than the guy who's never been hurt. You know, and mm. and I think um, you know, it, it, there, there's when we recruit players to Georgetown, the 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 one thing that I always say we it's really hard to to suss out about a recruit is are they uh, motivated? Are they driven? Are they, what, what's really pushing that kid? Or are they just going to show up and go through the motions and they punch a, they punch a clock when they show up for practice and they punch a clock when they walk out and it doesn't really matter that much to them. Or is it something where they just, they, they, they have that thing that just is it's eating at them to, to make them as good as possible and to grow and get better. And, and I think you find that the, the, the people who've had sort of those long-term injuries are tend to be, highly motivated when they come back. They tend to be the guys mm. who are going to work a little bit harder. Uh, they cherish it a little bit more. They understand, you know, what, what it is. They understand it's a privilege to be an athlete playing competitively, you know, in our setting here. And, mm. and, um, and I, that was certainly the case for me. I mean, I, when I was back and healthy, I was desperate to play. I, I didn't, I didn't have a, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, so I recovered in time to play really my senior year. And so I played high school soccer, right? That was all that, that was kind of what you did. You played high school soccer back then. And then that, that was it. And then, uh, I was in the summer before my senior year, I'd gone out to a camp at Dartmouth where my brother had played Andrew, Andrew was there before. So, you know, I knew him and, and, and the school and, and the team and, and the, the head coach there was a guy named Bobby Clark, who, who, um, uh, I have a you know, long, long, uh, um, uh, mentorship uh, relationship with he was my he was a head coach when I was assistant with him for ten years and, 
but he was this, he was a special individual, special coach that uh, inspired everybody and, and, and you, you didn't want to disappoint him. And he was just one of those guys that you're, you, you're just like, I want to play for that guy. And, um, and I was lucky enough, I was healthy enough to, to get out and, and, and take part in the, in the camp at Dartmouth in the summer before my senior year. And I was, and I did well enough that he said, Hey, yeah, we we'll want to recruit you to play here. And Dartmouth was a great, was a great school. Um, and at that time was an emerging soccer power. And, you know, the, the, to be recruited to a place like that with, with zero history, recent mm-hmm. history of soccer. Um, and in fairness, the coach had seen me before I got hurt. My coach had seen me as an eighth grader. And so he probably knew he, he would have remembered that was pretty good at that time. But uh-huh. then it was like three years of nothing, right? Where you're like, well, you just, and, and, but to be recruited to a program like that, you know, and to have the timing work out, like, you, you know, I, being in my seat now, it, it shouldn't have happened. Right. It's just, it's so lucky. And, and, um, and I, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't for a second, um, presume to, 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 to not, uh, to, to not understand like how unbelievably lucky that, that timing was to work. And then to have a coach who say, Oh, I believe in you and you come on in here, you know, become, be, be a recruited player. And so, I committed to Dartmouth and I, I applied early decision. I, I got in in what, December of my senior year. And then, then I'm looking at the senior spring. It's like, I don't have a team to play for. I, I wasn't on any teams. There was no club teams around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, the, my old team had all these great, it, it was a great team. I, I grew up with a fantastic group of players and had a great club team. I started my brother, my Andrew, Andrew's team, the service of strikers team, they were called, had guys, you know, like Will Stedman, who w- went on to be a captain at UCLA. Timmy Gallegos, who and went to UCLA. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Sherman, who went to play at Richmond. A whole slew of guys who went to, to play at UNM. Um, it, it was like this unbelievably special group of of players that somehow all got to, we're all the same age in New Mexico and formed this, this fantastic soccer team in New Mexico, which in, in the, in that time was like, New Mexico was not a soccer state at all. No, no, no real mm-hmm. soccer presence in it. And then my era was the same, but, but, um, I didn't really have a club team. You know, the, the club team I grew up playing with had already had two established goalies in it. And that didn't make sense. And so I literally, I was like, I need to play. I need to play with people in the spring before I go to college. So I started my own team. And so I, hmm. there was a, there was a coach, wow. there's a guy who's a teacher at, uh, at the academy who, who played college soccer, he played at Dartmouth, who I, I knew him and I, I this guy named Vladdy Stanievich. And, oh, yeah. uh, and, uh, and he had just moved out to start trying to teach. And I walked into, and he's, he's been a coach for a long time since then, but mm-hmm. I walked into his office. I said, Vladdy, I need someone to coach a team. Do you have any interest in coaching? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, so I, I said, all right, I need you to coach. So you're going to coach. And then I went through all the kids I remembered being pretty good in these high school games we had just played. And I'm like, Hey, uh, do you want to play? And I literally called them all up. I, I, I got their, found their numbers in the phone book, yeah. called them all up, <laughs> called them all up. And it said, Hey, I just want to, I'm, 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 I'm forming a team. And I thought you were pretty good. And do you have an issue playing? We, we made this team of like 15, 16 guys. Wow. And it was great. It was great fun. You know, so some of them were friends and, and some were pretty good little players who just played high school and that was it. And, uh, mm. 
but again, I think that was that was one of the things I, I attribute my parents to that. They're like, well, you got to play soccer, then you got to you go make a team. Like they they mm-hmm. weren't on the phone doing that. They they threw me the phone book and said, figure it out. <laughs> right. so I said, okay, let's see what I can do. Wow. So you were recruiting for a team even way back then when you were in high school and it's still your, your path today. It's amazing. Now, I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, so it had been my first team I, I drafted together. <laughs> and that's right. That's right. Exactly. That's awesome. So what was your career like at Dartmouth and what did you do after that playing wise? You didn't play, I didn't really play much. There was no real, and, and what I did know is I had a short shelf life. I did, I did know that, you know, a playing career after college was unlikely because of my needs. Like I knew it was going to be, you know, having a professional career was going to, at some point was going to end. I, I, I always felt like I was on borrowed time with being a, being a true, you know, division one athlete or a professional athlete. I, I wasn't convinced that was ever going to happen, but, um, but it, you know, uh, and I don't think I would have been good enough really to have a proper career that way, but it, it, it wasn't really available. MLS hadn't started. There's no real domestic league at that time in the early nineties to go. I, I did, you know, my first year at Dartmouth, I didn't play a minute. Um, I was a backup goalkeeper, which was fine by me at that time. I was, I was, you know, I, I, I needed, I needed time to, to settle in and, and was more than happy to to understudy and figure it out. And, and the team I, I, I'd come into was fantastic. So I didn't, you know, I think, I think it, it, it you know, at the, at the, at the core of it, I, I didn't really want to go in there and not be ready and let, let everybody down. Right. I was like, I don't think I'm ready. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. want to go in there in a big game and let down this group of guys that, you know, I revered. Um, and, uh, so I understudied for a year and then, and then, uh, um, and then really I, I played my sophomore year on, I was, I, be, I became a starter for my sophomore year, junior year, senior year, and which was, which was, you know, it, it was, um, it was a great experience to do it. I, I had the privilege of, of being a teammate of, of this guy, Jeff Cucanato, who was a goalkeeper from Wisconsin, who was the same year as me, you know? So uh, Jeff and I were competing for the starting job going into both of our sophomores years. And I thought Jeff was fantastic. I mean, he was, he, he and I were so different that I admired all the things he did better than I did. And I did some things better than he did, but I was like, gosh, I wish I could, I wish I could, you know, do that and that and that, that he does so well. And he might've said the same thing about some things for me, but it was, I, I remember going into the summer, going into the, into my, my sophomore fall in college being like, I don't know. I may, you know, I may, I may not make it. I may be the backup to, to, to Jeff. And, um, and you, you run through preseason and then the opening game, I got the starting you know, job for that first game. And we played, um, at Hartford, University of Hartford and got smashed. We had a whole bunch of guys who left. Like my class was a really special class of players in, the, in, in college of Dartmouth. Um, and we were a big class, but we had all kind of understudied because we had understudied this other group of seniors who were wonderfully successful and they all graduated. And so my sophomore year was this influx of all these young guys, a lot of stuff, freshmen and sophomores playing. And, and we're like, I don't we don't know what we're doing. You know, we're trying to figure it out. We're all young. And, and, uh, and we played Hartford and we lost like four to one. And it was like, yeah, it wasn't good. You know, <laughs> so we got mm-hmm. smashed and I'm sitting there on the bus from Hartford back up to Hanover after the game. And I just, I'm so depressed. I'm like, gosh, I don't, 
I, I, I don't remember any of the goals being like bad goals, you know, but I was like, I did concede four. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember thinking, man, man, that's, that's probably me. That's probably my chance done. Right. The, the, you don't lose four one. And, and then the next game, you know, you, you, the other goal is good. I mean, it makes sense. He's probably going to start. So I was sitting there feeling really sorry for myself on the bus and not sure what was going on and not sure. What, and Bobby Clark, who's the head coach came down, came down and sat next to me on the bus and, and said, uh, all right, big, big fella. Um, listen, don't worry about it. You're, you're the guy. You're my guy. Yeah. You're going to be the guy and just, you know, get on with it. You're going to be just fine. Right. And then he stood up and he walked back to the front of the bus and cause he himself was a goalkeeper. He understood exactly what I was going through at mm-hmm. that time. And, and boy, what a difference that made because, because I, from that moment on, I was, I, that doubt that was, that was tearing at me on the bus ride was just like, all right, I don't have to worry about that. I'm going to start the next game. Uh, he thought I actually played pretty well. This, but all of that, like that, that sort of split that can happen in an athlete when you're unsure of your status and your standing, you're unsure if, if you're going to start the next game, you're unsure if you're playing well, if, if you, all that kind of went away. And it let me just, it let me just train and get on with it and, and try to figure it out. And, and it removed an entire psychological problem out of the equation and, you know, we, we weren't perfect, but we figured out, actually it was the best year we had in my four years. We got to the elite eight, um, mm-hmm. and lost to Virginia in the elite eight. We won the, we won the Ivy league. We did all these things and which we were never able to replicate, even with better teams. We, we didn't still have that same run, but you know, that, um, uh, you know, that experience of, of going from not playing a second in my freshman year to, to trying to figure my life out as a sophomore to, to, I was a team MVP as a junior, I had a great season, but we, the team didn't have as a great season versus my sophomore year. I was letting in goals all over the place, but we found ways to win. And it was this, that, and the other, and we won the league to my senior where I was a captain of a team that underachieved. Right. So I had four very distinct years, which I think to be honest, prepared me wonderfully well for coaching because you know, all of those, all of those have their own lessons to give me some empathy to, to relate to a lot of, a lot of my players in, in a different, a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, if I'd come in and I was an all-star and, and played every minute of every game was, and it was fantastic from minute one, I wouldn't know a whole lot about, you know, the vast majority of my players and what they're going through. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, or if I'd never played a minute, and that, that's the, the flip side of it. If I never played a minute for four years, then, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know the pressures of, of performing in some, some, some situations that, that are hard, you know, and hard on guys mm-hmm. and, and succeeding and failing in those situations. So I, I, I actually, I attribute the four years I had as being a, a perfect primer for, for, for coaching because I really, I really went through the whole, the whole thing in, in those mm-hmm. four years. That's great. When did you know that you wanted to be a coach? Um, I don't know that, right? Like it's, it's, I've always liked coaching. I've always sort of found coaching. Maybe coaching's always found me in a way. Like I coached <laughs> in my, my senior spring in college. Um, I coached a, a, a local boys U15 club um, in Hanover, in around Hanover. Um, Cause I thought that would sound like fun, you know? But that you know that some of your weekends or your three three weeknights a week are are, are booked. Um, 
when I was injured in, in high school, I, 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 I the, the Dave, Dave, Doc, Doc Lydon, the old physics teacher had a, his kid, kid had a, had two young kids, uh, 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 Hooter, Hooter Glidden, right. He's, oh, yeah. he's, he's, you know, coaching himself and, and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his, and his brother, they, they were, they had a, this team and Doc Lydon didn't know anything about soccer. So he's, he, he knew I played. And so he's like, Hey, why don't you, while you're not moving or doing anything, why don't you come out and coach? And, so, you know, every time I, in, in my first job out of college was <coughs> working in, in San Diego uh, as an engineer and just, you know, there's a, there's a girls team that was practicing in a park behind my apartment and I'd finished a run and start talking to the team manager. And then a week later, I'm coaching this girls U17 <laughs> club team. It was super serious. Wow. And this time, you know, I'm like, eh. it, it, you know, so, and, and then, and, and, and then, after that year, I was trying to, to get a master's degree and I knew I was hoping to go to Stanford for this product design program and I got accepted. And so my first thing I did was I sent all these letters in the mail, no emails then, right? You send all these letters to the coach at Stanford, the coach at Cal, the coach at the, uh, Santa Clara, the coach at San Francisco and, and said, Hey, I'm going to be in the area do you need anybody to help? I would love to be, you know, I was a goalie, maybe I coach goalies and I didn't get any responses from anybody, of course. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it was something that, that when I think back on it, it just loved being around the game. And I love, you know, once I knew I was done playing, like coaching was kind of a natural thing to do. And, and, and you know, and it may, it may go back in, in some ways to, to when you're, when you're out for that long, when I was, when, you know, you go back to that, that, that thing when you miss that much. That maybe that maybe was the seed to it all, where I just really just realized how much I love the game and being around it, and you know it, it, that my way of staying attached to the game when you're not playing is is coaching, really at the end mm-hmm. of the day, right? And yeah, for sure. and um, and to be honest, the the you know divine intervention is Bobby Clark, my old guy that I played for, took the Stanford job the exact same time I came in to start my master's program at Stanford. And he was like, "Oh, this is great! You can help me. I, you know, I have someone I know, and you while you're while you're not doing your grad work, you can maybe you can come in and help me coach the goalies and be an assistant." Perfect. So I was like, great. This sounds fun. So it, it, it's always something I did, and then and then you know once you got into it at that level, I, I was still always going to try to be an engineer. And good news was I, I was I wasn't talented enough really to do a to, to be a hireable commodity out of out of grad <laughs> school. So. Um, uh, but I, I was good at coaching and, and I was, I was having such a great time doing it. I loved working with Bobby and loved working with those kids. The kids at Stanford were just, just great kids, really fun kids. And, and, um, I just, I, you know, it, you got to a point where I was interning as an engineer and all I was thinking about while I was interning was coaching. All I was thinking about. Mm. And I know I, when I was coaching, I was never thinking about being an engineer. So um, mm. it, it, it was just, and I, and, and, you know, the opportunity came up to be the top assistant, um, in 1999, it would have been, you know, if I would have been helping him for three years and then I was really like, I have to, you know, have a real job and start working. And so I'd worked as an engineer for a couple, couple years or sorry, a couple, couple months. And then, um, the top job opened up and Bobby called and says, well, what do you want to do? And, mm. uh, uh, and I'd just been married, uh, Becky, Becky and I just got married in, uh, in, uh, the fall of 98. And, uh, and so I said, uh, well, let me, 
we talked to Becky about it. Cause she thinks she's marrying an engineer and, um, <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin that whole thing. So if she's not sure about how little money I'm going to be able to make <laughs> as a soccer coach. Then I have to think about it. But otherwise if she's okay with it, then I want to coach, you know, <laughs> and, uh, bless, bless her, bless her heart. She was okay with it. Poor thing. So <laughs> that's awesome. So it's pretty easy. Yeah. It's pretty easy choice. Yeah. Amazing. So you found your way over to Georgetown as a head coach. What has that experience been like for you as far as leading young men and also recruiting young men into Georgetown? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot to that question, right? And finding, finding the kids that resonate with you. There's, there's a lot of things that go with that. One is the right player, the other's a right student and the other one's the right kid, you know, and, and it's a, it's remarkable, you know, how influential the, the families are and the parents are, right? I will, will, will really want to figure out like the family dynamic, how involved the parents are really with that kid. And, and, the reason we want that is you want the, you want the two things. One is you actually want my parents at the end of the day, right? If, if I'm projecting, it's like, I want them, I want my, I want the parents to really want the kid to be at a good school. Cause I don't want these guys popping off and being a pro in a year or two, because you'll never get a degree. If you do that, mm-hmm. you want the, you want the mom and the dad who are going to really stress, get the degree. And then if you're good enough to be a pro, that'll happen. But don't run off prematurely because you're going to get an offer from someone. We, we, that you, you're, we we as a family value this degree, and you need mm. you know because if one parent is sort of like well boy it'd be great if Junior became a pro, then suddenly the majority is the kid and the and one parent against another parent and the majority tends to win those things, mm. and so you want the majority to always be mom and dad saying no you're getting, you're there for a degree get it done right and mm. and and uh, be a pro if, if if and when that time comes. Right. And, mm. and, and usually that ends up being the right pathway anyway, that tends to be the most successful pathway anyway, but you want those parents that are like that. So you re, you recruit with that in mind. And then, and then like my parents, you also want the ones who are like, when they come to Georgetown, when they drop them off, you don't really want to see them again until they graduate. You want that mm. kid, you want that kid to go through the ones the, the, the kids we have that the parents are really engaged and really involved and really worried about how kids doing and how, and they're always around the kid. Those kids have a hard, hard time. They, they tend to have something, something that's holding that kid back uh, historically, hmm. you know, and I, I've been coaching that for about 25 years and the majority of parents do a really good job of it, but the ones that have a hard time letting their kids sort of do it and make mistakes, you get plenty of, you get plenty of parents. I'm sure really hate how much I play their kid. Right. I don't play them enough. I don't start them enough. I don't. And the majority of parents have those, have those emotions at some point, right? You have a roster of 25 mm-hmm. guys, 30 guys, whatever it is. And 11, 11 kids are happy, <clears throat> which means 11 sets of parents are happy. And then, uh, you have, uh, maybe 15, 16, 17 parents are not, are can't understand what's wrong with coach, right? The mm-hmm. boy should be starting and playing. He's the best. <laughs> and so you, you, you want, and those emotions are fine, but you want those parents to have that conversation just with each other, not with, not with their kid. Cause they want the kids got, the kids got to go through it and figure it out. And so that recruiting is, is really important. And, and then 
the fun thing for me is, is we get, we do, we get boys and then they leave as really independent men, you know, that can mm-hmm. make hard decisions and have evolved and are great with time management and are, are emotionally way more mature than when they came in four years earlier. And that, that's really fun mm-hmm. to see. That's beautiful. So just to kind of give parents tips, you know, and focusing more on, on boys, because the girls' side is different as far as timing of recruiting. When should boys start to, and parents start the recruiting process as far as reaching out to schools, and what should they be focusing on doing during their recruiting process? Yeah, it, well, it, it's, there's, there's new rules that are put in place, which, which will maybe push the girls later now, which is good if it happens, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I have a daughter who's playing in college. She's a freshman in college and she's playing and, you know, she committed as a sophomore. Right. And it's like, Whoa, you know, but that was, that was kind of what was going on at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new NCAA rules restrict us as coaches for men, er, boys and girls restrict us as coaches from calling, uh, a kid, texting with a kid. Um, or, or now, which is new, the new stuff is even calling or texting with a coach of a kid hmm. until they're uh, going into their junior year. So if it's freshmen and sophomores, if we see a kid who is a freshman and, and the best player in the country, it used to be that you could call up the coach and say, Hey, uh, have, uh, have, have Tommy give me a call. Uh, cause I want to talk to him or I want to get him on campus and walk him around campus and do it. And, and so, the, you know, Tommy would call and you'd have this great conversation with him and you'd try to get him to campus and then you could, you could show him the team and watch him train and show him campus and, and then, you know, Bob's your uncle. Right. And, mm-hmm. and now we cannot call that coach and it's to it, 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 it say we're interested. We can't, we can't third party our way into the kid's you know, uh, life until theoretically um, summer before their junior year. And that, that junior year is really important for the top kid, the top athlete, that junior year is where a lot of the recruiting happens. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean that's where it starts. And so as sophomores and freshmen, we get a lot of correspondence from kids. We get a lot of emails. What we can't do is email those kids back. Um, other than to say, Hey, um, we can't email you back but we got your, mm. got your information or, or, um, here's some camp information. That's it. It's, it's, it's bit generic camp information uh, or nothing. And mm. cause they do still allow kids to come on and, and do camps. And so camps are actually pretty handy. I mean, it, it, it's how I got recruited you know, at the end of the day as a player back in the day. Um, it's still very relevant. And, and for, and, and for certain schools, maybe more some than others, we use it heavily for our own situation for for recruiting and we, 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 we keep the numbers tight and small so that, you know, we, we get to know all the kids really well uh, because we, we pull kids out of it all the time. And, um, but uh, the important thing for freshmen and sophomores as a family and as a, as a kid is they need to start canvassing um, programs out there that they may be interested in. They don't even have to be interested. They might become interested in them. They don't even need to know if they are or not. But they, it does behoove them to send those emails to say, this is who I am. This is what year I'm graduating. Really importantly, say that. This is the team I play for. This is my number uh, that I wear when I'm playing. 
This is my cell phone number. This is my email number. Here are my vitals. Uh, these are the tournaments I'm playing at. Because even though we can't contact those kids, we're still out and about looking at them, in, in particular sophomores. We're still watching a lot of sophomores because we want to know what that list of kids are that we like <laughs> so that in, this, in the summer of their June, going into the junior year, we can, we can you know, the, the special kids that we found as younger kids, we can, we can get them out to campus right away. We want to, we want to, we want to get them on and, and see a team play and get them, get them into campus and get them, get them because we know that that, that a lot of schools are going to know the top guys and they're going to try to get them on their campus right away. And that first impression on the kid is, is pretty important. So if you're the first school mm-hmm. that a kid visits, that can, that can have a really lasting impact, right? I mean, you always remember your first girlfriend, right? And uh, <laughs> I got to think about which one the third one was and the fourth. I, I mean, I don't know if I've had that many, maybe. That's maybe <laughs> my, fourth, my fourth might be my wife. So that, that could be it, but. You, Let's you just stop. Really, yeah, it's just only yeah, been three or four. All right, yeah, three or four. That's, all I need. But it, <laughs> that's right, it, honey. It, yeah, that's right. But it's it, but the first one you always remember, and there's a reason. There's a reason for that. So, um, it's nice to be one of the first ones. So, so we're while we're not able to communicate, we are actively watching, uh, and we're trying to get kids that we like to camp. We're trying to see those kids play at tournaments, and so the communication kind of feels funny because it should. It might end up feeling very much like a one way traffic into a black hole and the feeling can be like, well, we're sending all this stuff, but no one's getting back to me. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to stop sending stuff. And they have to, they have to understand it's like, that's not necessarily the case. They should continue to pepper, continue to hit coaches with where they're playing and just understand that the coaches can't or really shouldn't be emailing them back with any real significant interest of any, 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 any substance at all. Uh, but that's not, that's okay. You know, it's just, where am I playing? Um, how often can you see me play and, and then uh, see where it goes from there. Mm. How do you feel about video? How much video do you and your assistants actually watch of players um, who send, send videos to you? We don't, we don't do a lot. My, my assistants will watch a little bit more. I mean, video is good to have, um, you know, highlight clips are good to have full games are, are fine, but we get so many email, emails, Gabe from players that, you know, if we sat and watched a four-minute video from every kid that that sent us a, a, an email with a video clip in it, we wouldn't have time in our day for anything else. And so you have to kind of pick and choose. But the reason the reason why they're it's kind of nice is if it, we we keep and 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 tag every email we get, so we have a database. So, so Gabe, you, you're a player. You send me an email. Great, we put it in. We send you a return basic email based on what your year is, but we keep your email. You send us another one. We keep that one too. So we compile in your, in your digital file, all of the emails you've ever sent us with all the links and everything else. So if we, if I then see you play out in California and I take a shine to you and I say, Oh, that gay guy was actually not bad. I go back in and I look at your file on my system and I notice that you've sent me, you know, a handful of videos. I'm going to watch those videos that for sure. Right. And I'll go, oh, yeah, kid's pretty good. Oh, he's able to play this position while well. he's able to do that. But we're not really, uh, and some coaches are different this way, but we're, we're really fundamentally just don't have the bandwidth to screen videos of kids that we haven't seen yet. And it's just mm-hmm. not, it's not that realistic. Um, unless there's a reason for us to, to click on it. Unless there's, unless there's something that's kind of like, yeah, this, you know, we really need a goalie this year. And he, this guy plays for a good team and he just sent me his videos. Uh, maybe you'll open up that one, but, um, uh, or 
you know, if you happen to know, you know, there's a connection to a kid or a kid's coach who's trying to get you to, to, to that, that, you know, I'm friendly with, with a, with a club coach and he sends me, a, you know, a, a kid with a video or the video references the coach and maybe you'll watch it to, to, to make sure that, you know, um, you have some feedback for that coach on the kid. Or if the kid's really good, then you can call the co- coach up and be like, hey, yeah, we, let's get this kid sorted out. It looks good. What's the story? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like camp, seeing the player play are the two biggest factors, and then yeah. video kind of third. So for parents to not really prioritize that, although it's nice for you guys to have video, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly worth doing, but it's not something you're going to be like, ah, we sent the video, everyone's going to love my kid now. You know, like that's right. not going to be the case. So it, it's exposures and it's exposures. It, 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 it's, you know, my daughter's a really good example. She, she really wanted to go. She's lucky enough to go to the school she ended up going to and really wanted to go there. And she, you know, I know their staff probably watched her team play two or three times without really getting them to be interested in her. Funnily enough, she went up to their camp. Okay, that was good as a you know, the young kid, as a freshman. All right. And then it was probably the fourth or fifth time maybe they saw her play. Uh, but they saw her play in a game, in a weekend, where she she played very well against very good teams. And then mm. suddenly the next week it's like, hey, let's set up a call. We thought you did great. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, she then went to She went, then went to the camp. After that, so she had gone to their school's camp twice. They had probably seen her play, you know, eight to nine to ten times. And then it's like, yes, we want you to come to school here. <laughs> so hmm. the number of exposures for her was very, very important because hmm. at the end of the day, you're not sure what the moment, you know, I have plenty of players on our team where I saw them play once or twice and they didn't, you know, I thought they were okay, but they didn't really get me excited. And then they play in a game and they do some things where I'm like, that was pretty fun. Let me mm-hmm. really dial into this kid. You know, what was that about? You know, who is, who is this little five foot nothing player? Like he's hitting these great diagonal passes. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Like I, let me start following this kid. Let me start watching this kid. And then, you know, nine months later, 12 months later, he's like, yeah, he's not five foot nothing anymore. He's not huge, but he's growing and he's, mm-hmm. and he's still hitting these passes. And guess what? He's also really good in the air for, for what he is. And he's just something else. That's how these things happen. A lot of times, it's not a, it's not a, uh, usually not, usually not a flash, flash in the pan moment where it's like mm-hmm. that kid's great. Let's get him. He's coming to school now. You know, it's usually mm-hmm. a more of a process. So the number of exposures matters. Mm. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. It, it can feel that way, and that's hard for a lot of families to to, to manage. Right? It, it, mm. The 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 duration, the lack of certainty, and the the, the bottom line is the fact that they don't control what schools like them back mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard for a lot of families and it's just the nature of it right i mean we'll we'll have a lot of kids that we like that are close that we go but we only end up with maybe six or seven so mm-hmm. what what is it what is it that means there's a you know 90 percent of the kids that we like don't even end up here and so mm-hmm. what is it you know and, and let alone let alone the the numbers of kids that we don't see or that we saw but we don't think we'd quite like that much or whatever reason there's huge numbers and and uh, and the hard part is is none of those players control that reaction from us about the kid they don't control whether mm-hmm. we really like them or not you know whether whether we fall in love with them as a player or we just like them a little bit or we didn't even notice them in the game you know they, that's mm-hmm. the really hard part is it's 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 hard not to have control 
for most of these these families, and, that, and that's that's difficult. Mm-hmm. They just need to keep doing what they're doing, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and trust. There's a lot of luck involved, and you got to know the landscape. You got to be prepared. You got to communicate well. You got to you want to be on top of things. It's not just it's not just show up and play. It's send people that you want to have look at you as the info, and hopefully they get out to see you. And um, but you just control what you can control, and and uh, just keep doing what you're doing, and and uh, see what happens from that. You know, so, something mm-hmm. something good will typically happen, but it might not happen quickly. It might take a little longer than you want it to, but uh, uh, but at the end of the day, it, it, it should work out. And listen, at the end of the day, you do have to be good enough, right? So understanding mm-hmm. kind of where you are is is important, right? You know, if you have aspirations to be at the the best team in the country, and you're you're at best, you're not even in a Division three level player. Well, you'll be disappointed for pretty much the entire recruiting process. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? But if if you're a good Division three player and you know that. And you're dialed into those teams. It's probably going to work out really well for you at the end of the day. And and, and mm-hmm. it might it might take some time, but it, it will it will suss out the right way. Mm-hmm. What are some personality characteristics off the field that you look at when you guys are looking at players? Yeah, you, you want guys to have good character, you know, and and you see that you do see that at times on the field. I mean, there's a kid that we saw that was a fullback, and we're looking at that he's being heavily recommended and kind of this kid could be a pro and he's just on the other. And he's like, yeah, he's pretty good. Uh, but we watched him lose a game and we watched him march off the field and smash a signboard and, and, and then realize he left something on the bench. So he marched back across the field and not shake anyone's hand. Like he didn't, mm. he didn't shake the referee's hand. He didn't shake any opponent's hand. He didn't want to talk to his own coach. And, and we're just like, no, we're not, I don't care how good that guy is. That guy's a problem. Right? He doesn't mm. handle people well. He doesn't respect the people he's around well, right? And, mm. and you know, the high-character guys, I mean, my favorite, my favorite story is this kid, Keegan Rosenberry, who's playing with the Colorado Rapids. He's been starting right back for the Rapids um, with a local kid from the Philadelphia area, sort of Pennsylvania. And uh, we had seen his team play a lot. We liked him a lot as a player. And, um, you know, but he wasn't big. A lot of people liked him, but had questions about things. You know, all these coaches from all these summer schools he was looking at, you know, we were looking at him. We liked him a lot, but, you know, we were like, okay, he's got these things. Uh, and I went out to a tournament in Las Vegas, saw his team play there, and he was a captain of his team. And uh, they played a game, <clears throat> and after the game, you know, the coach has them in the talking and then they all go walking off to the van to go to the back to the hotel. And Keegan was walking by the bench that they were sitting on and looked over and noticed that there were Gatorade bottles and cups all over the bench. Mm. Right. And you saw, you could see exactly what was going through his head. And I was, I was still sitting there because I was watching, uh, um, I was waiting for the next game, but I was really paying attention to Keegan because he also had some other teammates we were looking at too. And some of these other teammates just went walking right past. <laughs> In fact, the whole team did, including the coaches. And he stopped, and you could see it. He kind of like took a big sigh and a big breath. And like, oh. put his bag <laughs> down, put his bag down. And he walked over, and he just picked up all the trash and put it in the giant waste paper basket right next to the bench, of course, right? <laughs> of he, course. he picked it all up and put it, put it in. He, he didn't ignore it. He didn't 
yell at his teammates to come back and help him. He just did it. He recognized like this was us. This was our doing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of this. Right. And when he did that, I was like, that's a kid we have to get. Right. He awesome. became a kid we liked to that's a kid we have to get. Mm. And I just from picking up cups. Just, yeah, just, just from like, you know, I mean, just from his sense of what he really needed to do, what's the right thing to do. What's, and you're just like, that's just, that's a small window into just how that kid's probably built. And those cups are just, that's, that, those, that him stopping to do that is, is just, is going to manifest itself in so many other positive things for him and the team and how he's going to, and, and it was, he was just, he's just a fantastic kid, a fantastic person. And, you know, he's, he's now, he's been in the full national team camps and he's, you know, he was the third overall draft pick by the Philadelphia union. He was like, all those mm. things kind of come in, but all of those things, I'm not saying that's why he was a successful pro, but I'm, I'm I am saying that's why we wanted him because he, he helped us create a culture that was going to then permeate through everyone else. Like that, we wanted that type of kid times 27. That's what mm-hmm. we wanted. And we worked hard to try to figure those things out. And so when you see those little moments, uh, those things are, those things tend to be the little good moments and the little bad moments tend not to be unlucky or lucky. They tend to be little, little windows into what you're going to get. Yeah. Oh, awesome. 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 It's a lot, a uh, lot for parents to think about, I think right there. Yeah. 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 Tell, tell your kids um, to be good, good citizens. Tell you, it's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have some, I call them lightning round questions, but you're welcome to take uh, as much time as you need. Um, okay. I'll try so, to be brief. All right. I can go long. Okay. Go here long we go. And, and answers, so I'll try to be brief. <laughs> okay. So if you weren't a goalkeeper, what position would you have played? What would what I, what, what I, what I want to have played? The difference. Uh, what would you have wanted to have played? Oh, uh, attacking midfield for sure. Uh, attacking midfielder or forward, one of the two. Yeah, not, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah score some goals. Huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, attacking uh, mid. I is... would have been a great passer as well. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is a Hoya? Hoya is a well. That's not a lightning round question. It's a very complicated one. No one really knows the answer. <laughs> Hoya is is part of the phrase Hoya Saxa, which is a Latin phrase for what rocks which ah. people aren't so, super sure. In essence, a Hoya isn't a thing. It's a, it's like, it's a word. So, but, but it's become, <laughs> it's manifests itself as, as sort of George on Hoyas, but it's, it's, it's something that they like back in like the early 1900s, which chant Hoya Saxa, Hoya Saxa, then that became Hoya. Huh. Yeah. Very interesting. Favorite professional soccer team. Professional soccer team? Oh man, that my my roots lie in Manchester United, mm. but I find them to be a little soulless just now. And how do you not love Liverpool? <laughs> how do you not love Liverpool right now? Yeah, so, they're fun to watch. Yes, absolutely, for sure. If you weren't a college soccer coach, what would you be doing professionally, and why? Well, if, if I could have been hired as a product designer, I would have been working for Nike or Adidas designing some revolutionary shoe or, or headband that kept sweat off your body forever or something. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. Yeah, that was, that's nice. what I was trying to do when I, got, 
when I got rejected from any of those job offers. So that's, I would, I would try that again. I'll try to figure that out. <laughs> nice. So kind of a follow-up question. What's the most impactful product design of this century that you've seen? Ooh, to be honest, you know, it, it, it would be hard not to think digitally on a lot of that stuff. Like the iPhone, the smartphone concept has been mm-hmm. unbelievably impactful and, and um, that sort of subtle interface, but how that's been put together and how that's been integrated with apps and the internet and everything else is uh, that's the old Steve Jobs. Um, people don't tell me what they want. I tell them what they want. Because they, they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't know, they don't know what they want yet until I show them what it is they want. Mm-hmm. And that was him with the iPhone. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that's probably, that would probably be it. Yeah. It's definitely impacted my life for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, everyone's right. I'm just staring at yeah, yep. I know. What's the toughest thing about being a men's college soccer coach? Mm, that's a hard question. Cause I love it. Uh, the toughest thing, but the toughest thing, toughest thing, I, I mean, I think I think one of them is is personally it, it's the, the time you know time away from family. I think is, is the hardest thing. You know, we we work unbelievable hours. You know, we're seven days a week from August through December, and you know, you just you as a Division One coach, the amount of time you spend on the road recruiting, the amount of time you spend on the road traveling, um, <clears throat> dealing with you know, all the issues you have to deal with and everything else. It, it, it's, um, it's not a nine to five job. And, uh, I think that's, for, that's pretty clearly for me the hardest thing is my wife carries a lot of the burden on how the, how the house is being run and that what the kids are doing and how they're, how they're getting from A to B, you know, and, uh, you miss, you miss a lot, um, as a parent, which I, which I regret. Mm. What's your favorite part about being a parent? Um, yeah, just, just spending time with the kids. I mean, they're so damn fun. We have three, I have three great kids. Morgan's a freshman in college. Teddy's a junior in high school. And Maya's a freshman in high school. And like, they're, they're just, they're born with these personalities that they don't, that they have, right? Like they, they really are. They come out with these personalities. And I think it's just been, it's been a lot of fun seeing them all, you know, grow into young men and women. You know, and, and, and mm-hmm. it's the same thing as kind of, you know, you deal with a four year period with our players, you see how they mature over those four years. It's just like, golly, you just, you see these, 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 these young babies turn into fun little guys running around, turn into, uh, these, these, you know, soak up every bit of information you can, go through friend groups and go through trials and tribulations. And, and, uh, but you, boy, they, they, it's just fun going on the journey with them. It's mm, awesome. So what kind of advice, this doesn't have to be a lightning round question here, but what kind of advice would you have for parents who are raising athletes today? You know, I, I, I think, um, I don't know, from going through it myself as well, but it, it, two things. One is, one is, um, it's not as important as you think, right? The, the high level, top overachieving parents and kids that want to be national team at whatever sport, you know, let they say when the, when the kids are, when the kids are playing like at 10 or 11 years old, if it's your oldest kid, the mom and dad always feel like that's the, 
that's the most important thing going on. Like this is this tournament. If, if we don't win, it's all, you know, everything's ruined. And then two years later, three years later, you look back at that time. You're like, man, look how little these, these guys were. Yeah. That little mm-hmm. tournament and all this. But now, now it matters. You're 14 now. And this is the big deal. Yeah. Right. And then you say two or three years later, you look back and you're like, man, they're a senior in high school. Remember back when they were 14 and we thought it was such a big deal. And it's not. And but now, well, now it's a big deal, right? They're seniors in high school and they're getting ready to go to college. And it's always a big deal, but it's not a big deal, right? And so let let the let the kids enjoy playing, enjoy watching it, enjoy supporting it. But you know, um, there's something there's, there's I, I call it the crazy pill. All parents, when when their kids become athletes and, and compete in any sport, all, almost all of us take the crazy pill and we, we lose <laughs> our minds. We can't see we can't see things straight. All referees are horrible. All all uh, coaches don't know what they're talking about. Uh, all um, opponents are, are terrible, you know, conniving people who are out to, to hurt their kid or, or their teammates. And, and, uh, and it, you know, it's like, try not to take the crazy pill. Try to, try to just let them play and enjoy it and, mm. and not put the pressure of the winning and the losing and try not to, be screaming at other parents and referees and just enjoy the game and recognize it's just, you know, at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, it, 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 you're probably not seeing it right, even though you're hundred percent sure you are. You're, just understand you've taken a crazy pill. It's best just to be quiet and let, let the game happen and let the kids play and then talk about it with an after and laugh about it or yell about it or whatever you want. But, um, try not to take the crazy pill and, uh, and, and, and let them do what they want to do. You know, let them, if, if, if they have a love for it and drive for it, that will come. That's not going to come from mom and dad telling them how much they need to be playing and this, and they're great. The kid will tell them if they love it and, and recognize that. And, and again, that's from my upbringing is, is I think, you know, my parents never told me, um, that I should be out playing harder and actually practicing more and doing this. I, I, I went out and just did that on my own. And, mm. and, but, and they supported me though. Like they made it possible for me to do extra camps if I wanted to, or get out to a team and do this. And so I was really blessed with that way. Um, but you know, support, support your kids the best you can. And, and, but let them, let them, let them develop their own passion for it one way or the other. And if it's not there, they can play for a bit and they'll move on to something else, but you're, you're not going to instill that in them. Um, if it's not there already. Awesome. Powerful words, powerful <laughs> words. I, I appreciate I appreciate your time, Brian. Good luck with everything, sure. with the family especially. Much love to you guys, and uh, enjoy your the rest of your career at Georgetown and wherever it may lead you. All right, I appreciate it, Gabe. Thank you. Thanks for the time. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brian and got a lot out of it. There was some amazing stuff in there, so I urge you to please share this episode. The recruiting stuff he spoke about is so crucial for people to hear, especially people with children who are playing sports in high school and want to play in college. And remember, it's not just the stuff on the field that counts. It's the stuff off the field. And parents, you have a huge responsibility in that, in the kindness that your children show. And it's really a lot about role modeling, right? The kinder you are to people and to your child and to yourself, especially, then the kinder they will be to themselves and to others and the earth as well. All right. Hope you enjoyed. 
stay tuned for those next few episodes coming out, next interviews I have, some really exciting ones as always. All right, much love to you and many blessings.